and welcome to Medieval and Medieval Pop Culture Podcast. My name is Oliver Brady and with me this week is Dr. Sarah If Decker. I'm the guest this week. You're, listen, <laughs> I wasn't going to talk about it, but I'm going to bring it up. Uh, this is my last episode as, uh, as co-host of the podcast and I just felt like I should take over <laughs> and make it my podcast for the only time that it's going to be my podcast. I'm quitting in in some sort of protest. I, I I'm not doing it. I just my the, my 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 life has just gotten so busy. I don't have time to podcast at the minute. So I'm going to take an extended hiatus. I thought it was from protest the from uh, the fact that pre-med, that use premed octus wasn't a real thing. No, that's <laughs> not because it is a real thing, Sarah. That's why it has a name. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I'm Oliver Brady. Uh, Sarah uh, Ifdecker is a medieval scientist type person. <laughs> See, look at this. I don't even know what I'm saying anymore. I'm just going to go sit in a car. Sarah, please introduce yourself because I am obviously doing a <laughs> terrible job of it. I'm Sarah Ifdecker and I am a medieval scientist, otherwise known as a historian. Uh, <laughs> that's what they're called. <laughs> that's, uh, that's what they call us at the universities historian uh and on this podcast uh, we look at uh, how movies tv and books uh, depict the medieval world and we talk about what they get right what they get wrong and what they tell us about how modern people think about the medieval past and i in my daily life i'm a science torian and <laughs> a physisorian a physisorian. So I do stuff with sciences and all that sort of shenanigans. Sarah, why did you decide to do this podcast? I wanted to do this podcast because I'm professionally a medieval historian. I teach medieval history and uh, my students often come in with ideas about the Middle Ages that are not quite right. And uh, they often get those from medieval movies. So I want to do this podcast to talk about, you know, where uh, those kind of ideas are coming from. And why have you uh, been my co-host these last few months on this podcast? Because I love the medieval period. I love the Middle Ages. I love the Dark Ages, even though I know it annoys Sarah when I call it that. Um, I always, I grew up reading fantasy. I grew up watching fantasy. And most of those are set in the medieval period. So then as I got older, I wanted to see more historically accurate stuff. And I've been learning that I haven't really been watching anything that's been particularly <laughs> historically accurate. Um, so, yeah, it's just great to be able to sit down. And it's been a fantastic experience sitting with Sarah and having her just go like, yeah, that wasn't a thing. And this wasn't a thing. Even on the rare occasions when she gets it wrong, like that time she said that Prima Nocta wasn't a thing. But anyway, um, Sarah, what do you think is the biggest mistake that your students have made, you know, beyond being men? that's only in the one class uh i would say that that's that's not it's not even a joke everybody sarah does teach a a course i'm not sure what she calls it but it might as well be called men fuck you guys it's called women in the bible and it's not my fault that the class is 20 something women and two men and the women are often very angry okay maybe (laughs) i encourage them (laughs) uncomfortable men that's how i like to think of it um so what is the biggest mistake? I would say one of the biggest mistakes tends to be assuming that basically just the Middle Ages was this complete lawless time where everyone just ran around and murdered each other constantly. Whereas, in fact, the Middle Ages had laws. 
several of them. In fact, they had two separate, completely separate legal systems that both existed and both tried to institute law and order and often succeeded. Right. Now, this is something that we've not actually come across in any of our movies. How do you mean there were two separate legal systems? Well, that there was uh, the uh, law of associated with uh, what we might call the state. Um, so law that laws that are passed by the king, as well as by local, uh, for example, urban municipal governments or local lords. Uh, but then also uh, there was canon law, which uh, we will which will come up a little bit later today. Um, but that is the uh, legal system, the very kind of complex legal bu- uh, bureaucracy and legislative system of the church. Ah, you see, my problem there is that I grew up in Ireland during the uh, the 80s and 90s. So canon law and state law, are basically the same thing to somebody <laughs> my age. Um, and if you're my mom and dad's age, 100% the same thing. <laughs> So it's just weird, but um, yeah, which is weird because they actually were not quite the same in the Middle Ages. Yeah, we 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 regressed as we <laughs> as we developed as a country. Um, Sarah, we should probably talk about the movie that we're actually going to do today. So, um, we picked a doozy from <laughs> my last official <laughs> co-hosting. It is Robin Hood from twenty eighteen, and this is a movie. My God. <laughs> this, <laughs> This is certainly a movie that got made. That is exactly how I would describe it. It is a movie that, for some reason, they decided to shepherd into the world. Um, uh, they also decided that it should star Taron Edgerton, mm-hmm. a sandy-haired white man who looks exactly like Ansel Elgort and Alden Ehrenreich, and I will never be able to tell them apart. He looks like them. Boy sounds like this. Oh, I'm a ward boy. Oh, Taron Edgerton. Oh, I'm Eggsy. Stop it. Yeah. I'm a geezer. I'm a little bit this. I'm a little bit that. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I'm going to sell you some stuff down the market. Um, Because he is a cockney of some description. He's, he's the main star of the Kingsman series. Yes. There's a lot of diversity of accents in this movie. Um, oh, oh yes, there is. Uh, Jamie Fox is playing Little John. Did he even was he just being American? <laughs> Jamie Fox. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. He, all right. Have you ever seen Horrible Bosses? No. Oh well, Jamie Fox is in Horrible Bosses, and he's basically doing the accent he does in Horrible Bosses. Is he? He's American, right? He's American. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's it's he's... just a weird. It's a weird little accent. It's. It's like he tries a little bit every now and then to put a, a little bit of a Eastern kind of hint of Easternness to his voice. Yeah, but it's very half-hearted. Yeah, it's it's not good. Um, we've also got Ben Mendelsohn, Mendo, who is in everything. Um, it, it's it's like it just happens every now and then. Uh, Christoph Waltz is another good example of this, mm-hmm. where. To me, an actor comes out of nowhere and then suddenly is in every movie for about three years. Yeah. Then disappears and then comes back and then does like another three-year period where he's in every movie. And that's Ben Mendelsohn. It's like, I don't remember seeing him up until about three, maybe two years ago. And now you can't turn on a movie without him being in it somewhere. So the first thing, at least, that I saw him in was Rogue One as director Krennic. And I'm pretty sure he is playing the exact same role and is wearing the exact same outfit. It is surprisingly weird how close his 
outfits me to the stuff he wears in Rogue One. Like it's, who made that decision and why? I don't know. <laughs> there must be some sort of there must be some sort of copy on here. He's also in the latest Captain Marvel movie. The latest yeah. the Captain Marvel movie. <laughs> the Captain Marvel movie. Out, as we were talking about. Um no, I know I've seen Captain Marvel. Sarah, have you seen Captain no, Marvel? No, I still haven't seen Captain Marvel. <sighs> well, I don't want to spoil it, but it's good. Okay. I'm I'm gonna go see it. Um yeah, because I I spent all of this week complaining about how they killed off most of the women and people of color in uh, the Avengers movies, so I might as well at least see the one woman led Marvel movie. Yeah, well, it'll just be maybe <laughs> a chance. Now that all of those women and pe- people of color are out of the way, now it'll be a chance for us white guys to uh, to come to the fore. Like, finally, you have representation. Before. Finally, <laughs> like I mean. We need more Chris Hemsworth, so there's people who look and sound exactly like me on screen. There's Taron Edgerton. Oh, <laughs> um, then we got Eve Hewson. Uh, oh, sorry, uh, Krennic. Um, sorry, <laughs> Krennic. Uh, he, Ben Mendelsohn plays the Sheriff of Nottingham. Um, Eve Hewson uh, plays Maid Marian, and I, I looked her up and I was like, she looks really familiar. And I was like, wait, Hewson? She's Irish? No. Yeah, turns out this is Bono's daughter. I assume um, that's why she looked familiar, because I have not seen her in anything or heard of anything she's been in. No, <laughs> me either, really. But um yeah, Eve Eve Houston, um she got a lot of abuse um when she started going into acting. Uh and it's hard it's a weird it's a weird thing to talk about because like obviously I'm a I'm a dude talking about this, but she got fat shamed a lot by the Irish. Really? Movie. Yeah, and it's weird because she's like, she's not a stick figure, but I mean, yeah, because obviously she, she's fat slim, shaming is bad yeah. regardless of size, but she is no, quite no, yeah, slender. Sorry, what that's what I'm saying is it's yeah. Not, I, what I'm getting at is there's no there's no reason to ever uh, fat shame somebody, but like they'd be they were showing pictures of her like, oh look at her and her cellulite kind of stuff, and you're going, yeah. what are you talking about? It's a tiny little woman. What are you at like? Um, wow. Yeah, uh, yeah, but I think a lot of that was just people being dicks, and the fact that she's her dad's a billionaire, so yeah, it's like ho ho ho, let's let's poke fun at her. She's obviously had everything handed to her. And you think, yeah, but, but like Kate Mara has had everything handed to her. Rooney Mara has had everything handed to them. Like, so have most white the men. Chanel sisters. <laughs> <sighs> a lot of white men had to crawl themselves up from the middle classes don't you be saying we all had to we all had to like come from wealthy stock um speaking of wealthy stock we have tim Minchin because a lot of people don't realize he's actually he's actually from a, a well-to-do family hmm. but tim Minchin plays friar tuck is he a comedian or something mostly yeah, yeah. he's a he's a comedian he plays the piano and sings oh, okay and and does that does that sort of stand-up yeah. kind of routines um i like him he's he's a funny guy he was fine um, in this role. He was far from the worst <laughs> thing about this movie. I don't know. Uh, then we have um, Christian Grey, uh, Jamie Dornan from Northern Ireland, who doesn't have to bother changing his accent to play Will Scarlet, who I think yep. is meant to be Welsh. Yep. Jamie Dornan pulling off his dom jeans and pulling on his medieval... <laughs> Slack. Uh, never mind. I don't remember what pants are called. His uh, pulling on his codpiece. Spoiler alert! <laughs> pulling on his two face. Yeah. 
because that's pretty much what he's doing in this movie. Like, uh, before we get into this, so this is Robin Hood. This might as well be Batman to Dark Knight. It pretty much is. It's also terrible. (laughs) (laughs) Just just like controversial for my last episode, Sheriff (laughs) Decker shitting on the Dark Knight. No, I'm not shitting on this movie. Not the Dark Knight. I oh, love the I Dark Knight. You said, you said it's also terrible. <laughs> um, then we got F. Murray Abraham, who is one of my favorite actors in the entire world. And Sarah had to tell me that he's not Jewish. I really I have always thought assumed he was I, I have too. And I am Jewish. And I was like, oh yeah, one of the Jewish actors. F. Murray Abraham, one of the great Jewish actors of my people. F. Murray Abraham. Nope. I, I, even now, having you look it up and tell me, I'm still sitting there going, yeah, he's F. Murray Abraham's Jewish. Yeah, no, I have <laughs> literally my entire life thought F. Murray Abraham is Jewish and I'm a little disappointed. Uh, he's in a really bad yet movie I love called By the Sword, where he... Ah, oh, it's the best. I'm trying to think of the best way to describe it. So Eric Roberts is a fencing master who is competing on the American Olympics team. And F. Murray Abraham starts cleaning up around his gym. Mm-hmm. And then we find out that in his younger days, F. Murray Abraham was one of the best swordsmen wow. in America. And something had happened where he was disgraced and wasn't allowed to use a sword anymore or he voluntarily stopped using a sword and then Eric Roberts proceeds to bully him until they have a sword fight at the end mm. and it's like this it's not a movie that should be enjoyable it's not a movie that's shot well <laughs> and yet I absolutely love that movie <laughs> so by the sword starring Eric Roberts and F. Murray <laughs> If you watch one movie this year that you've never seen before or even heard of, by the sword. Yeah, so F. Murray Abraham plays Cardinal Franklin. Uh, also, fi- a fun fact about this movie before we get in, uh, because related to the fact that this movie is terrible, not The Dark Knight. The Dark Knight is a good movie. This is a terrible movie. This movie was nominated for an impressive three Razzies for Worst Picture, Worst Supporting Actor, uh, an honor that Jamie Foxx uh, was fortunate enough to receive, and Worst Prequel slash Remake slash Ripoff. It sadly did not win any, and I feel like it was really robbed in that last category. Uh, yeah, because I, I, the only reason that I can imagine that this didn't win Worst Prequel, Remake, Ripoff, or Sequel, and I haven't looked up the Razzies, but this came out in 2018. Yeah. So I'm going to guess The Predator. Uh, you know, I looked it up and then I forgot. <laughs> then I didn't write it down and I forgot. So. I I didn't look. I'm going to look it up after we finish recording. Yeah. But it, The Predator has to have won that. It's fucking terrible. <laughs> there are. I know that. I'm sure that is a contentious category. But uh, wow, <laughs> I, I feel like this deserved it. Okay. So we need to start into our first segment where we're going to break down the movie. Now, uh, I was just finishing editing an episode today um, and it was an hour and 
50 minutes long so even even now coming up to the end of my stay here i think i'm keeping things going too long with the amount of times you're procrastinating so we're going to try and keep this shorter but because it's a terrible movie chances are it's going to go a little bit long i mean even as we're looking down we're already been recording for 23 minutes so i'm just gonna start straight into it and go enumeratio Saved it for the last one, Sarah. That was perfect. Classic. Um, <clears throat> how does this movie begin? I have very rarely, I think, seen the intro to a movie and immediately known <laughs> that this was going to drive me insane. So, what is this, Ollie? Woodcuts? <laughs> what is this? Yeah, so the credits are done over woodcuts, which could have been cool. But the woodcuts are clearly like 19th into early 20th century style woodcuts, which unreasonably annoyed me, especially because uh, so I think uh, the Hansel and Gretel witch hunter movie actually does a better job of having like vaguely like early modern, at least esque woodcuts as uh, the background for the credits. And it's like, couldn't you have at least managed that? But yeah, but these look so modern and I find it very annoying. But yeah, this is doubly annoying because... The Hansel and Gretel movie stars Jeremy Renner. And nothing with Jeremy Renner should ever be better than anything. True. Um, But it's okay. I mean, we really don't need to worry about any of these accuracy issues. Because as the movie tells us very quickly in the voiceover at the beginning, I could bore you with history. But no, forget history. Can't tell me what to do, movie. Yeah, forget history. Like, also, Robin Hood wasn't a real person. That too. <laughs> so we can't forget history because it's not... Oh, man. I mean, this is the stuff historians have been doing this for years. But anyway, the important thing is, right, this movie <laughs> starts with Maid Marian uh, trying to steal a horse and she gets caught by a stable boy and then the stable boy is all like, oh, oh, oh I'm going to let you go. Oh, I'm also going to push you up against the wall in what is literally basically the beginning of a rape scene like i mean it it doesn't end up that way but that's how it starts yeah the way he is pushing her up against the wall is extremely disturbing the whole thing looks very non-consensual and i am really not okay with that being the lead-in to their romantic relationship yeah it's really weird um but that's what starts the relationship he allows her to escape with the horse. She finds out that he is the Lordling, um, which is how she describes him. Some little lord walking around and he doesn't understand everything because she's trying to speak with an English accent and then just slips <laughs> back into pure Irish every now and then. Um, so Loxy lets her go and then we get a brief montage of them being in love and how he becomes the Lord. And I think, like, it's weird... From watching that little montage, it's implied that they are already doing robberies and stuff together. Like, they're definitely having adventures. But I don't understand why they would be doing robberies, because at this point, he's rich. He's rich, and he's not... He's not at all an outlaw or anything. So um, I think that's just them sh- trying to show that himself and Marion are both excitable characters who can do cool stuff. Right. They're fun. But... Yeah. And then... We get a draft for Vietnam. Yep. That happened. Um, Yeah, so Robin gets 
drafted with a draft notice into the Crusades, which then we realize are apparently just the war in Iraq now because Jerusalem or I guess it's not Jerusalem, I guess it's like Accra or something, but whatever, it doesn't matter. It's just like downtown Fallujah. It's ridiculous. Right. Now, for anyone listening who hasn't seen this movie, I want you to pause right now. Now, I know loads of podcasts do this, right? But as soon as I'm finished talking, I want you to pause, watch that scene and come back to us because no description is going to do this justice, right? So just type in to YouTube because it's definitely on YouTube because I went looking for it today. Type in first battle scene, Robin Hood 2018, right? This looks like a scene taken straight from, just speaking of Jeremy Renner, The Hurt Locker. Like it's yeah. it's shot in the same sort of palette. It's got the same sort of filters. It's got the same sort of desolation. It's got the same sort of, oh, we're walking through these broken down and clearly bombed buildings and people could be sniping at us from anywhere at any time, including machine gun. Right. There are things crossbows. that they sort of, yeah, they're like crossbows, but they're, they're machine. Some of them are machine guns. Some of them are sniper guns. Um, they're just very much transforming medieval weaponry into modern weaponry, which I'm not going to necessarily say could never work as a deliberate anachronism, but I feel like a movie has to be better to justify it. It's so jarring. I mean, it's one of the weird things where I was watching. I was like, I don't hate this scene. I hate the way they're doing it. Yeah. But the idea of them having to go through a city. As I said, I've read a lot of fancy books, a lot of medieval set books. And the idea of sneaking into a city and people being able to just pop up from the top of a rooftop and shoot at you with a bow and arrow or a crossbow is legit scary. You don't have to turn it into like this fake machine gun. And yeah. Explosive arrows and all this stuff. Like, right. The, it These Arabs that they're fighting, um, I'm not sure if that's the correct word to describe them, but that's what they use in the movie, right? These Arabs that they're fighting um, are, I mean, they're basically a group of Hawkeyes. Yeah, no, it's it's a very weird choice. I also have pretty negative feelings about it overall because, uh, if I'm remembering correctly, George Bush actually used the word crusade to refer to the war in Iraq, which I had issues with as both an opponent to the war in Iraq and as a medievalist. Um, mm -hmm. That it very much, A, first of all, you know, has this kind of effort to um, present it as this holy war and then also implies that the crusades are this kind of positive thing and so I think there's this kind of effort in this movie to turn that on its head and say yes it's like the crusades but also both are bad um, and I'm not saying both aren't bad but they're also very much not the same thing and they very much are not actually stemming from the same set of motivations um, and they are not war that, and they are wars that look very different in a lot of ways. And I find that very frustrating as a commentary choice. Yeah, it's it's just a, a weird thing. And also, we know that Richard Lionheart um, went on his crusade just to hide the fact that he was gay. Uh, but anyway, that's beside the point. I saw I saw that written somewhere during the week, and I, I just like the idea of it just made me laugh. It was like that, like. You know, that would be fun if it was true. Not fun, sorry, a lot of people died. But, like, the idea that they're going back in time now and going, well, this is why he did it. It's because he was trying to deal with his homosexuality. You're like, I don't, I don't think there's any 
evidence towards that? There's certainly no evidence that that's why he went on crusade. Um, I think there are a decent amount of people who think that he might have had some kind of sexual relationship with the, at the time, King of France, Philip Augustus. Well, in fairness, uh, Philip really, really did eat those oysters in a sexual way, as we learned in Robin Hood. He really did. 2010. <laughs> um, right, so... We'll get through the scene. One of uh, one of Robin's men gets taken by these nasty, nasty bad guys. And they go in to save them. And then they end up calling in the artillery. They catch a lot of the... Um, I think... Did you describe them as moors? Yes, they describe them as moors, which I will talk about that terminology later on. Later on, yeah. So it, they catch some of these moors and they start to kill them, including one who is basically a ninja... And he's been ninjaing through the thing, shooting people with double arrows and doing backflips, like cool backflips. Like I mean, it's, a, it's yeah. an interesting chase scene. Uh, Robin is getting his ass kicked by this guy, um, but he's chained to the wall, and his son is one of the other people who are about to get uh, held prisoner or about to be killed, and um, he tries to give up information, and they kill his son anyway. Then Robin, who tries to stop them, allows uh, this one particular uh, moor to escape. And then Robin gets, he's in disgrace because he's just after attacking his fellow crusaders. But because he's a fancy little rich boy, he gets sent home on a ship instead. Yes. So he is sent home, but it is not a happy homecoming. For when he returns, he finds his men are desolate, and it turns out, and Marianne is no longer there, and it turns out that in his absence, the Sheriff of Nottingham had him declared dead so that he could steal all of his shit. Yeah, pretty much, because the Sheriff of Nottingham is going to make a run to be some sort of king, I imagine, is what they're going for. Of course he does. Um, uh, also, in the meantime, all of these citizens who I guess had been the, um, uh, people who are vaguely under Robin's, um, under Robin's lordship have all been sent to the coal mines to labor for the benefit of the sheriff. Yeah. So it's a weird thing. So the sheriff is the one who, um, took him or drafted him into the army. The sheriff is the one who appears to be paying for the war. Um, and he's apparently the, same time, the only he's... person paying for the Crusades. That is based that is on heavily this movie. implied later on. Himself and the bishop are conspiring. Yeah, or the cardinal. It doesn't actually say that he's a bishop. Oh, of sorry, anything. the cardinal. You would think he would be, but it never says that. Yeah, it does. <laughs> it, it's the cardinal. So, um, yeah, uh, and it's it's just it's just a weird thing because he comes back and his castle is in ruins. And you'd also think, like, yeah, I get it that the sheriff took over his lands or whatever. Why would he burn down the castle? Right. Why isn't he using the castle? Yeah. This, it's like, like, perfectly you, good you castle. To burn down. Uh, Marion's been thrown out, and she's living down in the poor quarters as well. In and you just kind of like, whatever. Yeah. And he goes to try and find her when he comes back. And he sees that she's been, like, canoodling with Jamie Dornan, played by... Uh, or playing Will Scarlet. Um, she had to sign a contract and everything. It was a whole thing. <laughs> it, yeah, it was weird. And he, <laughs> he, you know, as every time he goes into his closet, he's taken out the jeans. She knows what it is. like. Um, that's why he's Will Scarlet, because he's got a scarlet room. Is it, it's a re- isn't it a red <laughs> yeah, room? Yeah, I think it's in, a red room. Yeah, 
so he's he's Will Scarlet with his Scarlet Raven. But um, he goes, he, he has a bit of a mental breakdown and goes running off. And as he does, the same Moore who had, uh, he tried to save his son, um, is there waiting for him. And we also just, we, we kind of skipped it at the time. He had his hand chopped off while he was going to kill oh, um, right. Robin and uh, and somebody else came in and chopped his hand off. It might even have been Guy de Gisborne yeah. chopped off his hand. Yeah, Guy de Gisborne um, is the like crusade commander who. Uh... Yeah, he was he was the captain. He is playing the most SAS soldier who's ever been an SAS soldier in anything. If you've ever played the Call of Duty games, he's basically playing one of the main characters of the first the first modern warfare games. Like, uh, it's it's weird. He's got the full handlebar mustache the whole lot like and it's, sas it's is weird. british army uh yes okay. special air services okay. they're they're like the best way to describe it would be they, they're the british equivalent of the navy seals okay or as my dad used to put it who was not in the sas he was in the green berets but as my dad used to describe it um the right hard motherfuckers ollie <laughs> yeah um so that's who they are. Um, but so now we have our uh, Jamie Lannister-esque Jamie Foxx uh, with his one hand. Um, has apparently followed Robin to England and goes into this whole thing about how now we need to work together to stop the war. And also, like, everyone's oppressing the poor and that's bad because I guess he's a communist internationalist now. And... Uh, in a not especially convincing scene, manages to convince Robin that the two of them should now side together and fight against Nottingham and the Cardinal. Yeah, it's a weird scene. Uh, Right. So we were comparing this to The Dark Knight, which I think is a great movie, and Sarah said was terrible. Um, I was talking about this movie. I love The Dark Knight. (laughs) Sarah, you can't you can't roll back on it now. We have the videotape, so audio recording. God, that was terrible at this this evening. But um, uh, so um, this is reminiscent of scenes from the first of those Batman movies, the Nolan Batman movies, where um Liam Neeson's character, who I'm surprised isn't in this, um, where Liam Neeson's character, uh, Raz Al Ghul. Um, is trying to convince Batman that he should go and destroy Gotham because it's good for everybody and it's it's capitalism at its worst, blah, 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 blah. And, you know, a better stuff will rise in the ashes. And that's what John is basically saying here is that capitalism has taken over the world and if we can destroy capitalism, then everybody else will become equals. And it's like, oh, I don't think so, dude. Yeah, he also... So by the way, he introduces himself as Yahya and then uh, immediately tells... Uh, um uh, robin that that can be translated as john um there is as usual a whole uh, kind of subtle language thing happening here in that there's zero reason that that man would know english literally zero <laughs> he knows parkour and crazy ninja skills sarah so knowing english is the least of his problems the parkour here. makes more sense than the english <laughs> <laughs> um so what he has done is he's convincing Robin to schmoozle or schmozzle his way in to Ben Mendelssohn's schmuzzle. inner circle. And schmozzle, yeah. <laughs> and he's... So again, this is going back to... If you watch the Nolan Batman movies, 
there's a scene where Alfred tells Batman, um, Bruce Wayne, you know, you can't just be doing nothing. You have to still be seen to be Bruce Wayne. Right, you have to be and like at parties and being the wealthy playboy. At type. parties and stuff. And that's basically what, yeah, yeah, I can't pronounce it, Sarah, so I'm just going to say John. That's basically what John says to uh, Robin, which is, you go in there and you become part of his inner circle by, you know, funding his stuff, by using money or whatever to, to fund him for um, for his war efforts. Uh, drinking like really creepily asshole. leaning in and saying, I want to earn your favor. I want to earn your favor. <laughs> yeah, it's, <laughs> it's so bad. I, I want to be your guy. And it's like, <laughs> oh, okay, interesting. But um, so all of this is happening and... It's very reminiscent of scenes in The Dark Knight and scenes in um, Batman Begins. In particular, they do a couple of jobs where they steal from the church collection. The church are obviously been funding and um, been used to to fund uh, uh, Nottingham's uh, war effort. So they're stealing from that, and then the next day he comes in and he's given more. Like and he's he's take the money that he stole. He's giving back publicly, going, "Oh, look at me and how good I am at, at doing all this stuff." Like, and this scenes with Will Tillman, who's Will Scarlet, and he's like, "Oh, I don't know about this masked hood, this guy who's been stealing from the rich." I mean, yes, because there are other ways. The hood. I would like to comment. Yes, the hood again. He we're we're doing hood. this. Yeah, we have to do it. Robin of the Hood. I I yeah. hope at some stages is mentioned. But um, yeah. So so if you think back to the Dark Knight, the scenes, there's a scene where they're out to dinner, and Harvey Dent is like, oh well, you know, he's a mass crusader, and you know, he's a good guy or whatever. But I mean, we should be doing this through political means. That scene is yep. literally in this movie. Yep. Because yeah, those are they're the exact same characters. Um, it is also around at this point that I feel like we started wondering. Why isn't anyone surprised about where Robin, a person who has been dispossessed of all of his wealth already by the sheriff, why is no one wondering where he gets this money from? This is never discussed. It's it's one of just the weirdest things you're ever going to see. Just like he shows up and he starts giving money and nobody ever, even for a second, thinks, where's he getting all that money from? Yeah. It's just like, oh, he's a lord, therefore he's got money. Um, we also have an awesome, uh, I was going to say an awesome scene. It's meant to be an awesome scene um, where uh, yeah, yeah, uh, or John teaches him how to fight better and to do archery, which means he can fire three arrows from a bow at the same time. Just I've watched videos of the best archers in the world using the best compound bows that anyone's ever touched in their life. And they cannot do these things that Robin Hood is trying to pretend to do. Like it's if he's training up to do them and you can get better. Like you can't hold two arrows in your hand, have them semi knocked to a bow and fire a third arrow. Like it just doesn't work. Right. And because you, in order for your hand to still be holding the arrows, like you're, you're going to be reducing the tension on the string, which means that it's not going to fire forward and this stuff. But like all of these things are happening in the movie. And it's, it's a cool scene where John gets him to fire arrows at him as he walks towards him and he's basically matrixing out of the way. Yeah. Like, yep. Just all Muslims are Neo from the matrix now. So that's cool. That's basically, well, it's kind of cool to see them represented as not just being evil, but yeah, it's, it's really weird. Um, 
<laughs> the, Sarah does point out that there's some 14th century Italian paintings, which are just so anachronistic. Yeah, so uh, I'll, I'll talk about this a bit more later, but uh, he is using for target practice a bunch of 14th century Italian paintings of saints. So in addition to the issues that we have 14th century Italian paintings in 12th to 13th century England, we also have what are clearly paintings of saints being used as target practice, which I have thoughts about. Oh, I have thoughts about too. It's the best thing to use a saint for. Um, so <laughs> I think I'm a better we, Catholic than we you also, are. You probably are. <laughs> there are some um, really interesting uh, fashion choices here, including the odd velvet turtleneck that shows up. <laughs> You're like, eh, this doesn't seem like right, but okay, let's just go with this. Um, the sheriff uh, in getting bamboozled by uh, Robin and all his money Start saying things like the fog of war is falling on us, and yep, he literally just, says the fog of war, war because we were too the, the yeah. analogies were too subtle before. Marion comes to talk to Robin, and he ignores her, and then they meet again, and he comes along, and he basically says, "You moved on." Why? And he's been like an absolute asshole to her, and it's like, "Oh, you said you'd wait for me." He was declared dead people right. said they saw his body yeah it's not like she was like well i don't know maybe he's not coming back it was that like literally everyone announced that she was that he was dead and kicked her out of his house because he was dead now yeah but there's also there's a there's a, a little scene so it's very quickly in the scene she says um two soldiers said they saw you your body right. they said they saw you beheaded or whatever so it's like what what did they expect? Like, uh, yeah, like, like why should she not believe say, that? I get this. Yeah, like I understand, and and that's how it goes. But he starts um, breaking and stealing stuff, and you know, there's a couple of scenes where he starts giving. Like, she's the one who gives him the idea to give the money because she's like, oh yeah, he's stealing stuff. He's just stealing it for himself. Like he's not a man of the people. So then he starts going around and you know distributing his money, and then people start going oh who's this thief this guy with the hood so they start hammering their hood the hood into walls and on their doors just to show that they they believe in the hood or whatever it is and um the disembodied hood yeah and there's a there's a scene where for me like does a dude just hammers this straight into a wall there's no cracking there's no nothing it's just like one solid hit and this into a stone and it's a stone wall (laughs) and it's like no that's that's not gonna happen what are you doing you people um but yeah uh he's now super rich nobody seems to care and because he gives so much money to uh krennic stroke nottingham they suck him in and he becomes part of the inner circle yeah so he is invited of course to the fancy party that uh the sheriff has given in honor of the visiting cardinal uh, the sheriff has also thrown a sock to those commoners and has invited uh, and has invited Will and Marion. Um, and it is at this party that Marion and Robin overhear that the Crusades are a church plot and that they are also funding the Muslim army and want the war to end badly so that they can take over from the king. It's, I mean, we've watched movies which have convoluted plots, like the Three Musketeers one from twenty twelve or whatever it was, or was it even before that? I can't it's remember. A, the ninety three Three Musketeers but, is the one that also had that weird like 
church taking over the state plot. Yeah, but I, I'm thinking more the one, so the the, the steampunk one. Oh, where yeah. The plot was to disgrace the king and have him start a war. And because he's a cuckold, people would suddenly support the cardinal. Right. When he said, like, that's, so I'm getting it. It's like, it's super yeah. convoluted. And you're like, this is, what are you doing, these people? But, um, so the cardinal's coming all the way from Rome, whatever. Uh, and in behind the scenes, Will Scarlet, uh, Marion, and Friar Tuck have been working to raise the populace up. Right. To, you know, try and overthrow, or at least, you know, fight back against the oppressive regime. Um, and Robin gets in on this, and then he sees Friar Tuck, and he's like, right, I need to find a way to get into that room, so I'm going to give Friar Tuck up. Um, and he says, oh, uh, I saw somebody breaking into your room, and the only person who has that key is Friar Tuck. Uh, and he, so he brings him in to where the Cardinal is, and he says, do you have your key, Friar Tuck? Friar Tuck obviously doesn't have the key because he gave it away. Right. And it's left to the point where they're like, right, and they're going to have him killed. And then Robin's like, no, 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 no. Don't kill him. Have him defrocked. That's worse. Because that's worse. And they're all like, ha, 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 that's worse. Just, it's not worse. Not worse. He's clearly it's not a very worse. churchy friar, if you know what I mean. As usual. <laughs> it's just, ugh. It's bad. Yeah. So that's all very dumb, but Friar Tuck's not dead. So I guess that's fine. No. It's good. Yeah, he's still alive. Um, and then uh, the Sheriff of Nottingham was like, Robin, thanks a million. Let's, I'm going to tell you all about our crazy plot now and you're a part of it. Also, we're going to bring in some uh, muscle to help us defend against this Hood character. And it's Guy de Gisborne. Right. And he shows up and he's got his little group of SAS dudes with him and they're all <laughs> speaking in their rough British accents. And they're going to come and they're going to crush the small people. And if they twist them hard enough, they'll give up who Robin is. Um, and it's just one of those shitty ones. So it's, it's just. Yeah. So yet another bad. thing in this movie that makes no sense. Gita Gisborne knows who Robin of Loxley is and knows that he's the yeah. person who, uh, you know, it was like disgraced in the crusade um, at some point they like oh, we'll get to this in a second I'm getting a little ahead of like at some point they find John and it's like nobody ever wonders oh could it be that guy it's one of the stupidest things that this movie could possibly have done is he finds John they, so what happens is they go to uh, make um, basically they go to make uh, a raid on the mint right. right where all of the money is stored right and they're doing a good job of it until Robin fucks up, basically. And then they have to go and try and escape. Um, and John gives himself up in order for Robin and Marion to escape, right? And he's tortured by the sheriff. And Gisborne comes down. And Gisborne recognizes him as the guy from Fallujah at the beginning. Right. right? But never says, and oh, wait. He's here. The guy who helped him is like right over there. I wonder if we should interrogate him. But that's that's the thing is they're they're torturing him, and he also he says it at one point. I think is who's aiding you? Is it the same person who aided you in Accra? You know who aided him. 
you hated him. The first thing you said to Robin when you showed up was, oh, I'll not forget what you did in Accurate. Right. So why aren't they bringing him in for questioning? It's so obvious, but nobody bothers to. Especially because, by the way, Robin does an incredibly terrible job of disguising himself because unlike Christian Bale as Batman, who puts on that silly deep voice all the time. Uh, oh, Batman. Robin maybe should have tried to do a Batman voice because instead he's like, he just like, he like speaks to Marion at some point when she doesn't yet know who he is officially. And she just like, he just like speaks to her in his, in his completely normal voice. And then she's like, Robin? And he's like, how did you guess? <laughs> like, dude, you're it's dating very, this one for like true. three years. Of course she rec- recognized your voice. So Will Scarlet has all of the poor people. And he's like, we should talk and we should go and give our demands and tell him that we're not going to work in the mines. And then Ro- and, and Marion says, no, Robin, you should go in and reveal yourself to be the hood. And then we'll see what happens. And Robin does, and all of them love him, and he's inciting them to riot, basically, and make a play against the sheriff. During the time that this is happening, um, he falls into a pit, and he kisses Marion, just as Will is walking up and looks into the pit and sees it happening. Now, Marion rejects him at this point. Like, he kisses her, and she, she pulls away, and she goes, like, I can't. Yeah. Right. And if Will had have, it's one of those movie things where if Will had stayed for two seconds more. Right. He would have seen this, but he doesn't because he walks off. He's like, oh, that's how it is, basically. And he goes to walk off and then there's an explosion goes off and he gets horribly burned in the face. But Robin goes back to face. save him. Only half of his face. Mm. Mm-hmm. Like another character we could name. Right. Um. Uh. Yeah, that's right. The Emperor. No, uh, obviously <laughs> Harvey Two-Face power. because he's the politi- <laughs> he's the political side of the uh, the issue. And um, But Robin goes back in to save him with Marion. And like at this point, it just gets all muddled and confused. And there's a scene where Robin gives himself up. So he, t- he stands up and he goes, I'm Robin Hood. Come and take me to soldiers to stop the riot. All right? Right. And... I think that he also is getting, like, Crusade's PTSD flashbacks right at that moment, too, which is an interesting choice. Uh, It is a really, well, I would say interesting choice, or shall we say bad choice, right? Um, So he's having these flashbacks, but he gives himself up, and he is captured, and he's brought in to stand in front of um, the Sheriff of Nottingham, and they're all about to kill him. Um. And so he's sitting there. And then John, who has somehow managed to escape, uh, is dressed as one of the guards. And even though they're about to kill him, uh, to kill Robin, he helps to kill all the other guards. And then Robin and John somehow manage to kill the sheriff. Now, the sheriff's obviously not going to be able to beat any of them in a sword fight because he's just the sheriff. He's not He's not a badass. Right. Um, and they hang him. Yeah, and what is, I would say, an unnecessarily dramatic means of killing him. Yeah, there was, at this stage, it's two against one. Like, yeah, they could just like literally just cut him. his head off. Yeah, um, yeah, also unnecessarily dramatically, there is uh, the cross uh, clatters to the ground in symbolism. Mm-hmm. Mm. Very, very subtle symbolism. So subtle. Um, so... Robin, Marion, and a lot of townsfolk flee and take refuge in Sherwood Forest. 
And the Cardinal, played by uh, F. Murray Abraham, kind of approaches Will and goes, now that you're ugly and Marion's never going to want to be with you, despite the fact that she has rejected Robin, I want to make you sheriff. And he agrees as long as he gets to declare Robin outlaws. So at the end, outlaw, exactly. At the end, he's giving a speech and you can see his horribly scarred half of his face and he's got like a, a sheet that says outlaw in his hand and then Robin shoots an arrow through it from a long way away. And it's like, oh wow, this is the start of Robin the Outlaw, which we're going to get in the definite sequel that's definitely going to happen to this movie because it made billions of dollars in the box office. Yeah. Also important, apparently Director Krennic's outfit that the Sheriff of Nottingham was wearing is the uniform for the Sheriff of Nottingham because Will Scarlet is wearing it at the end. It's such a weird choice to have him wear the exact same mm. stuff. It's like, is that, like, I don't think Sheriff of Nottingham is like Sheriff in an American town. Because that's what they seem no, to think it is. No, you basically wear regular clothes, I think. Also, another thing that I want to point out is because I said this to Sarah during the week. Um, I sent a screenshot, actually, of it yesterday. I discovered that there's a game called Sheriff of Nottingham. Mm-hmm. Uh, a board game, which uh, I watched a, a, a Let's Play of yesterday. And it looks like a barrel of fun. Don and Benjamin have it, apparently. Ooh. Yeah. So uh, it looks great. I think it seems to be you need to have four players to play it. Yeah. So, um, if there, if you guys are ever over in Ireland at some stage, we'll we'll, we'll definitely get down to some sheriff of Nottingham business. Exactly. I'll uh, I'll uh, I'll um, crash Don and Benjamin's future trip and make them bring the sheriff of Nottingham game. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, and that's it. That's how the movie ends. So it's basically. Like it is setting up for a, they. I'm assuming they wanted to make like a slew of these movies. Oh, they clearly wanted to make a slew of these movies. Uh, this didn't do very well. Um, no, <laughs> probably they won't. You know, I'm almost a little disappointed because this is this is terrible, but it was kind of entertaining. Yeah. To hate watch, like it's weird about this one, right? Now we'll get. I suppose we'll get. We'll get to this right. at the end when we do our estimatio. But we watched in the or sorry, well, not in the name of the king. Um, Legend of the Sword, right? And when we were recording that one, you told me that they had originally planned to make six movies. Yeah, and that obviously they weren't going to because they didn't make any money, or whatever. And loads of people go to bat and say. You know, oh, I actually liked Legend of Sword, including a certain Beth Grinfeld. Um, I made her sound like she's a Bond villain there. Whether she likes uh, Legend of the Sword, it's very Legend of Sword. But I have heard this, and (laughs) I have heard some other people whose opinions I normally agree with saying they like Legend of Sword. This is a much better movie than Legend of the Sword. This, I mean, it's terrible, terrible, but but it's it's fun. Like, this is, I mean, so we'll get to in terms of what this, like, shakes out in terms of our actual ratings, but I would call this a good bad movie. Yeah, and I don't think good bad movies. Yeah, and I don't think good bad movies exist, so I'm just going to call this a movie I kind of like, but we'll talk about that when (laughs) we get to the end. Yeah, we'll get there. Now, now... We get my favorite bit, which is when Sarah goes off on one on the movie. So we're going to talk about 
what the movie gets right and what the movie gets wrong in the section we call Sarah, can you tell us what the movie got very? Yeah, so uh, there were things this movie got right. So first of all, I did check. Yahya is more or less the Arabic equivalent of John. So for example, if uh, when they refer to John the Baptist, who is accepted as a prophet in Islam, he is referred to as Yahya in Arabic sources. Um, I do, however, by the way, call bullshit both on John knowing any English and at the end, there's a little bit where he introduces himself to Friar Tuck as Yahya and Friar Tuck then says, oh, can I just call you John? <laughs> no way that dude knows Arabic, especially because he's kind of presented as basically a parish priest who are very uneducated. So. Oh, wow. Just throw some some abuse to Christians way there. Sarah. I mean, other Christians are educated, but parish priests are pretty much the least educated of the clergy. Like people complain all the time about the fact that they can barely that some of them can barely read. Oh, that is true. Uh, and we're not even talking about back then. We're talking about now. Yeah, now I thought they just complained about all of the molestation of young boys. But <laughs> And how they're not allowed to do it anymore. Theoretically. Oh, uh, shit. Wait. <laughs> I said work for the Catholic Church. <laughs> you can cut this out. Um, oh, no, I'm leaving okay. it in. This is good. Um, I want them to know I don't approve. <laughs> So uh, another thing that they did actually got right, uh, we talked about canon law before. So uh, Friar Tuck is accused of the crime of falsehood under canon law. Um, I'm not exactly sure that's what he's actually doing, but that is a real crime. Um, uh, medieval canon law does deal regularly with the question of falsehood and in particular false testimony and lying under oath. And that is mm. something that you could be punished for, although you would not typically be defrocked for this, as was Friar Tuck. Um, well, yeah. Friar Tuck was was he wasn't he was defrocked because he had betrayed them, right? So but the crime that they claimed it. they were charging him with to justify it was falsehood under canon law. Oh, see, I didn't quite yeah. get. I know they said that uh, about falsehood under canon law. What would have happened to them if they wouldn't have been defrocked? Because they were about to kill him. Right. I mean, so neither of those would have been the punishment, essentially. There would have been, like, maybe temporary, like, a temporary suspension, I think. Uh, but honestly, probably, like a, fine, like, a fine, kind of honestly, basically, is probably what would have happened. Um, yeah. So do, they didn't get it right in either direction, because, like, they, they definitely were about to kill this dude. <laughs> and yeah, he's like, no, so... no, defrock him instead. That's worse for a priest. Yeah, so there were things that were right about it, but it wasn't quite there. Um, also, by the way, shout out to my friend John Burden for being my canon law expert on this. Um, nice. Yeah. It's a, that's, that's a really cool way to describe somebody who's an expert in canon law. Yeah. Those, those good historians of canon law. Um, so Not just, not, not canon law, Sarah. Canon law. <laughs> Make it sound really badass. The yeah, law of it's canons. true, because that's what this movie does with everything. The law of canons, exactly. <laughs> um, another thing that they actually seem to have gotten right is coal mining was apparently uh, something that they were doing in England as far back as the Roman period. And it is referred to, again, at least in sources from the 13th century. So it's not outside the realm of possibility that it would be happening here. And in fact, Nottinghamshire was one of the places where there were coal mines in the 13th century. However... These mines look like they are the Industrial Revolution. 
they look way beyond the Industrial Revolution. These things look like something you'd expect in <clears throat> steampunk fantasy setting. It's yeah, like it's one step away from the mines of Mordor, right? Um, whereas the you know coal mining in the Middle Ages happened, but it's much ba- it's basically surface mining essentially, and would have uh, mm-hmm. looked very different and involved very different technology than what we see here, which looks pretty modern slash steampunk. Yeah, it's it, it's a weird how large the mines are, how industrialized they are, is kind of off putting to me. Yeah. But it's still like I I, I appreciate that they they were going for something different, I suppose. Right. And I think that's part of the uh the set of what I would call deliberate anachronisms, which hmm. I do think can work in a movie. I mean, A Knight's Tale is, I think, a really good example of how it can work. Um, I don't think it necessarily works here. So you have the mines, uh, you have the weaponry, as we've talked about a little bit before, and you have the clothing. So we've already talked about uh, Nottingham's, like, sci-fi Rogue One outfit. Uh, I'm pretty sure Marion and I have the same makeup. Um <laughs> <laughs> Will Scarlet's literally wearing like a button-down shirt, and Friar Tuck like clearly bought his glasses at Warby Parker. Yeah, Friar Tuck has some of the coolest glasses I've ever seen on a character in a movie. It's weird. Like that dude is trendy. That is not a churchy like, friar. That is a trendy friar. He is. This is this is your this is your right. So it's not something that we get over here in Ireland typically, right? But when I'm watching movies. He looks like your trendy hipster pastor. Yeah. That you see in like American teen movies. Like, oh yeah, I'm down with the kids and I'll I'll turn my chair around and sit cross-legged <laughs> on it or whatever and and talk to you and, 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 and get real for a minute or whatever. <laughs> That's what he looks like. Um and it like it, again, it's something that kind of works a little bit because he's only a minor character. Um Will Scarlet's uh regular button down i'm going to work shirt right and cardigan he's wearing a cardigan at one point i'm like i, I can't Come imagine on. cardigans were no. common at the time yeah so there are a number of deliberate anachronisms which could maybe have worked in a better movie but this is not that movie no <laughs> um there's also a lot that they get wrong um so first of all they uh constantly use the term uh, more to refer to uh the muslims and that is a term that i would say is uh, generally in this period used not as a catch-all term for all muslims but that tends to be used primarily to refer to the muslims who are based in the iberian peninsula um so it is a weird choice at least to uh use that to talk about the muslims in uh, the middle east um then there's just the crusades just just all of them um so first of all you don't get drafted into the crusades um you you don't know you are a pilgrim if you're going on crusades you're expected to take the cross you don't just get forced into going on crusade especially if you're a lord I mean, there might be some forms of pressure, but that's not the same as a draft. Um, so that is a weird choice. Um, and then, of course, the twist of the sheriff and the cardinal who are playing both sides to depose the king. 
makes no sense and also is uh, <laughs> once again this like bizarre I don't understand why these medieval movies are convinced that the churchmen want to like take over the state like I don't get oh, where that's coming from I, I see this is the thing is I this notion of the church trying to take over the state like I, I think this is a new thing that they're trying to like, movies are trying to force onto it. I don't think any historian has ever sat down and said, well, you know, the church were trying to... Like, I'm sure there was interference, right? But they were, as you said, they were never going to replace the kings because that makes no sense. Right, I mean, right? there's a big difference between a between the church wanting essentially more control over what the kings are doing versus wanting to become king. Right, so the way I see this is, right? So this is a modern screenwriting thing where... No, it's gonna it's hard to say what i'm about to say without sounding like i'm defending religion and i'm not i'm very clearly not a religious person i have a phd in physics and a master's degree in engineering i don't like i'm guys i'm not a religious person please please don't think i am right but you're not a, lot a churchy of people, person i'm not a churchy person at all <laughs> but a lot of people are so anti the church that it's so easy. So it's like, um, what, what it's, I'm aggressively atheist is the way to describe it. Right. right. So they want to write stuff where the church are the bad guys. Now the church did a lot of shitty things, but the idea of them, we're going to try and take over a country. I'm going to be the new King. Like it doesn't make any sense. Right. Because as Sarah, Sarah said repeatedly, like they can't have become the new Kings. Even, them being the power behind the throne, they could do that with any king because right. the church was a powerful enough entity and people really believed in God back in the time and they believed in the Christian church that if you, uh, if the bishop or the pope came along and excommunicated a king, it would cause serious problem for that king. Right, and so that happened and, kings... there were, and there were issues surrounding that. Exactly, so... Kings would want to keep the church on their side. So this notion that they're going to depose them and take over, and it just it really feels like, a, hey, I'm a screenwriter and I want to write something edgy and I'm an atheist and I want to get across my atheism is good and all church and all religion is bad. So I'm going to make them the bad guys in this movie. Like, if you want to do that, just write a screenplay about what the Catholic Church did in... <laughs> the 60s, 70s, 80s, and 90s. I, I'll give you an idea. If you happen to be a screenwriter and you're listening, I want you to look up the Magdalene Laundries. I want you to look up Tomb Magdalene Laundry and the 700 children that they murdered and buried in the back garden. Like, Jeez. look up those people. Write a screenplay about those. You don't have to fabricate them trying to take over England in the Middle Ages. This happened in the 50s, 60s, and 70s in a first world country like right you don't have to go looking for stuff to throw at the church just write what would have happened and go for some sort of historical accuracy where you don't make your movie look like it's ridiculous like when you see somebody as accomplished as sarah writing down uh the cardinal playing both sides in order to depose the king after he loses the crusades is the dumbest thing i've ever heard and i hate it <laughs> like when she's writing that into your notes, you know you fucked up screenwriters. So maybe do a better job. Right. And then it's also, I mean, you know, even within the Middle Ages, there's plenty of things that you could criticize the church about. Like the fact that at various points there were people associated with the church engaged in virulent anti-Jewish preaching that essentially encouraged people to massacre the Jews. 
Um, that's something mm. that you could talk about if you wanted to criticize the actual medieval church. Exactly. This is st- there's plenty of stuff that happened without making up other stuff. If you want to go against or t- to go against the church, if you want to paint them in a bad light, they've already done that for you. You just need to show people that this is what happened. Don't make up any other random stuff. Right. And it also frustrates me the extent to which, uh, once again, nobody can take religion seriously at all. So if you're in the church, you're if you're a high-ranking person in the church, you're only a high-ranking person because you want to join, you want to gain power. So at some point, the cardinal even says something like, this is why the church created hell. It's like, come <laughs> on. Yeah. And we know the church didn't create hell. I mean, I'm not saying they didn't, but no, they actually didn't because the Jews actually did come up with hell first. Um, See, I, I was, I was gonna say that, but then I was like, wait, am I gonna come across as really anti-Semitic <laughs> if I say we know the church and the Jews did? Yeah, because we actually had a concept of hell before we had a concept of heaven. Yeah, because you stole heaven from us. <laughs> it was sort of a simultaneous development. Sort of a simultaneous development. You uh, stole it from the physicist, Sarah. <laughs> That's what you did. The church made up purgatory. Oh. Yeah. That's clearly like a thing that the church made up. Like, if you wanted to be really cynical, you could make an argument, although I wouldn't quite make this argument, that the church invented purgatory to get money. Um, <laughs> because then people had to basically pay monasteries and churches to pray for them so that they'd get out of purgatory faster. Oh, indulgences is the way forward. Yeah. I love it. Um, but that's what led to the Great Schism. Or sorry, one of the things that led to the Great Schism. Uh, one thing I do want to say about um, purgatory is when you bring it up, is I know I've never told this story anywhere before. When I was 11 and the teacher first mentioned purgatory, uh, they described it as, and you go to live in limbo. And I had literally just seen something that weekend about limbo. Mm-hmm. And I said, that sounds like way worse than hell. And he said, why? And I, I was, in all honesty, I was looking at him and I went, I hate Jamaican steel drums. <laughs> and I still do. Like it's, it's with traditional Irish instruments there. It's up there with my least favorite sound in the world. I can't listen to them for more than, maybe 30 seconds and I'm good. I'm good. Like I, I want to move on. And in my head, I was like, Oh, imagine having to listen. You have to, to listen to, you have to, you have to limbo for it. <laughs> I was like, Oh my God. And even I'm looking back now, I'm thinking that teacher must've taught. I was an absolute idiot. <laughs> oh, and that's probably not even the worst thing. I think I definitely used a racial slur in that class oh, once no. as well, like in the middle of class because I was, I was trying to rap. I was doing a rap song and yeah, whatever. It's like, well, it bad. to make you feel <sighs> better, limbo and purgatory are actually different things. So your teacher was actually wrong. Oh, oh thank God. <laughs> yeah, so I was. I was take that, Mr. Sheridan. Because purgatory is where you would go if you're like, you kind of sucked, but you genuinely repented. And then you can basically work off your sins and maybe eventually go to heaven. Limbo is where you go basically if you are a good person who didn't accept Jesus. So like all of the babies who didn't get baptized uh, are in limbo and uh, everybody who lived before Jesus, who wasn't taken out of hell uh, by like by Jesus, um, basically in between his death and resurrection 
Um, and uh, Dante at least puts in there a couple of the, uh, I think, like at least uh, Muslim kind of intellectual luminaries. Oh, so interesting. Hmm. I I genuinely don't know that. Yeah, because yeah, so yeah, so limbo would be like good people who aren't Christians, basically. And purgatory are people who weren't good enough. Yeah. To get into heaven. Yeah, but like you could get into heaven eventually because the only salvation is through Christ. According to your religion. (laughs) It is. It's true. Uh, Uh, Friar Tuck is really happy about getting defrocked, Sarah. mm -hmm. Is that something that priests would have been back in the day? Probably not. Honestly, because... So first of all, it's again... Why can't people occasionally take religion seriously in these movies? (laughs) Uh, But also... Honestly, getting defrocked as a priest is not great because it basically means you lose your livelihood. So he's all like, I'm free. But then it's like, no, what the fuck do you think you're going to do? You're not qualified to do anything (laughs) else. Like, this is your job. Like, that's basically the equivalent of like, you've gotten fired for the one job you've been training for your entire life and could never get rehired. This guy, this guy also speaks Arabic. Yeah, he wouldn't have done that, so. Um, But yeah, so also, like, a note, uh, this movie also seems to think that a friar and a a parish priest are the same thing, which they're not, though I will say at least, unlike some other Robin Hood movies, it doesn't make him into a Franciscan, which didn't exist yet, so it's kind of a draw on that front. But uh, as I said before, the uh, parish priests, which is what he is kind of presented as, were very much the least educated segment of the Christian clergy. And as well, um, Christians learning Arabic, which is something that they did in the West, mostly as a means of converting Muslims or trying to convert Muslims, uh, didn't become very Mm. popular until uh, I think at least the kind of mid 13th century. So him knowing Arabic seems very unlikely. Yeah, awesome. Um, Also, one more thing. I looked up English cardinals during this period, and uh, you will not be surprised to hear that uh, Cardinal Franklin is not a real person. No. (laughs) No, Sarah, are are you telling me he's not a real person? He's not. Um, I I assumed that's who you were going to talk about in Historia et Veritas. I did not. Uh, I I had a rough time figuring out what to refer to talk about in Historia Veritas. Sarah, is if the Archbishop, sorry, Cardinal, wasn't a real person, are we going to be able to do Historia Veritas? Um, we're going to try because well, yeah, we're going to try. Because I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna sing it if we're not gonna do it. No, we're gonna do it. Okay, okay, okay. Historia et veritas. So while this movie did manage to not have a single real historical figure, it did have a poorly depicted real historical event, and that is the Third Crusade. Um, so the, uh, third crusade, uh, in relation, this follows very nicely on our last episode was a response to the 1187 conquest of Jerusalem. So Jerusalem had been conquered. So, uh, reportedly the Pope, Pope Urban III collapsed and died as soon as he heard the news of the conquest of Jerusalem, 
and the new Pope Gregory VIII uh, relatively quickly called a crusade. And uh, <laughs> um, so basically there are three rulers who kind of get on board with this whole crusade plan. So the Holy Roman Emperor, Frederick I Barbarossa, uh, Henry II of England, and uh, Philip II, also known as Philip Augustus of France. So Henry and Philip start to raise funds before setting out, and in the meantime, Henry died while dealing with the civil war that his sons were fomenting against him. Uh, One of those sons, Richard I the Lionheart, then becomes king. And, uh, you know, they end then kind of continue with the preparations for the crusade. Um, and by the way, related to what we talked about before, there are those that think that there was uh, some kind of sexual relationship between uh, Richard and uh, Philip. And this is actually depicted in, or at least kind of hinted at, uh, well, I'd say somewhere in between depicted and hinted at in uh, Lion in Winter, which is a better movie than this. Um, there. Wait, sorry, Sarah. <laughs> Are you claiming The Lion in Winter is a better movie than this? Yes. That five star classic movie. <laughs> I'm I'm gonna go really out on a limb. Movie, I'm gonna do the hot take of saying that Lion in Winter, an Oscar award winning movie, is better than this than Robin <laughs> Hood twenty than the twenty eighteen Robin Hood. Listen, I this is so controversial. <laughs> I. I can't. I, I just don't even understand what you're saying. Um, so there were actually a uh, there was actually a Christian power that did uh, side with the Muslims during the Crusade, and that was the uh, Eastern Roman or Byzantine Emperor. Basically, because the Western Christians are the fucking worst. Like just every time they like wander <laughs> through Constantinople and are just terrible. Uh, this, of course, culminating in the Fourth Crusade, when the Western Christian Crusaders basically just said "fuck it," stopped and conquered Constantinople instead of actually going on crusade. <laughs> um, but they did not quite do this. Um, but however, the whole thing uh, had, I would say, rather mixed results. So uh, Frederick died in 1190. Richard and Philip then uh, fell out after Richard broke off his engagement to Philip's sister um, and decided to marry instead a princess from the uh, Iberian Kingdom of Navarre, uh, whose name is Berengaria, a name that should really come back into fashion. Um, yeah, that's an awesome name. Berengaria. Yeah, it was uh, the uh, the Catalan version. Berengeta is, uh, was very popular as well. Um, I have a lot of Berengetas in my document. Um and also some great families where Berenger marries Berengera and then they name their children Berenger and Berengera. <laughs> like, it's been a terrible uh, I know dinner. I've said before that I'd like to call my kid Marilyn if I have another one in the future. But um, I don't know, Berengera. Yeah. If, if you have a daughter, she could be Berengera. <laughs> De- definitely. I'm going to go for it. Yeah. Marilyn and Berengera. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> I think I would name a cat Berengara. <laughs> I'm not sure I'd saddle a child with that. And I couldn't call a dog that, because can you no, imagine maybe. being at the park yelling Berengara? <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, so uh, the um, relationship between uh, Philip and Richard soured after he broke off this engagement in favor of another alliance. 
Um, uh, at the same time, uh, things are also, they do manage, despite this dissension, to take the city of Accra. Um, uh, Richard then requests a meeting with Saladin to discuss some possible terms. Uh, Saladin delays. In response, Richard, charmingly, uh, executed 2,700 Muslim prisoners. Um, uh, and Saladin then, in retaliation, executed all of the Christian prisoners he had. So everyone was just very nice. Uh, they uh, they then basically over there was some kind of these kind of interpersonal conflicts and also disagreements over strategy. So the Crusader forces basically split into two factions, meaning that there was not a single Crusader army that was actually at all strong enough to even bother trying to reconquer Jerusalem. So at this point, they did eventually get a meeting with Saladin and managed to at least kind of win the concession that they were able to kind of hold on to Accra for now uh, and that he would allow Christian pilgrims and traders into the city of Jerusalem, which he had not been doing over the last, uh, I guess, kind of four years at this point. Um, the other way in which this crusade, by the way, did not go great is that Richard, en route back from the crusade, uh, was captured by Leopold, Duke of the Duke of Austria, and then held by him and the Holy Roman Emperor for two years. Um, and the uh, the story that actually tends to be the kind of background story for Robin Hood is that they are sucking a lot of money out of the populace in an effort to collect money to pay Richard's ransom, which is a lot. I don't have the exact sum written down, but it's a lot of money. So the Crusades ultimately kept Richard out of his kingdom for about half of his total reign, so about five years, um, between his actual crusading and his being held hostage in the Holy Roman Empire. Um, and uh, he ultimately, despite being a kind of well-remembered king in England in a lot of ways, uh, was ultimately uh, probably not an especially successful one. And to some extent that had something to do with his uh, involvement in this crusading venture. Hmm. This is very interesting. Like when you think about it, like you could make a really good movie about this. I mean, you really could, winter, but you could, but like, it's always fascinating. And um, at some point uh, people will be listening to, our episode on uh, Kingdom of Heaven, Sarah's favorite movie of all time, um, and when when we uh, when you listen to that, that's about the Crusades as well. And there's so much more interesting stuff going around at this time that people are just passing over to go for sensational, violency type stuff and church trying to take over countries. Like you don't, you can avoid most of that and actually just focus on. The actual history of it and i guarantee you people will want to watch your movie if you do it well yep um and also by the way person who was running all who was running things at this time when the crusade was happening eleanor vacuitain oh of course yep. she was because eleanor vacuitain is the most i'm going to use the word that i very rarely use she's a badass bitch. yes she is i'm gonna get that on a shot bitch eleanor vacuitain Hashtag, <laughs> hashtag let him die and then on the back boss pitch <laughs> those are going to be the media evil shirts <laughs> perfect Sarah that's uh, I love that stuff I, I think it's incredibly interesting but now we should we should talk about what we would do if we were making a movie called Robin Hood brackets 2018 so this is what we like to call 
Fabula Nostra, where we talk about a movie we would make. Sarah, tell me about the movie that nobody would want to watch that you want to make. So, I've decided that if we're going to do Not Your Daddy's Robin Hood, which is what this movie totally is going (laughs) for... I want to do a little fun gender swapping and also maybe a little fun representation of a not straight relationship. So I am going to have my Robin be played by Emma Watson. Um, so she is going to be our uh, kind of young noblewoman who, uh, you know, trains to fight and uh, ultimately kind of rebels um, and is declared an outlaw. Um, she is going to have a relationship with, uh, instead of Marion, I'm going to be calling her Maria and she is going to be somebody who had been, uh, originally from Spain and, uh, is a very, and is going to be played by Selena Gomez. And she is a young widow, uh, who then takes up with, uh, Emma Watson and they're kind of off running in the forest together. Um, I am going to keep the Sheriff of Nottingham and Friar Tuck male to uh, reflect the fact that I am still setting this in uh, a semi-realistic medieval universe. Uh, So the Sheriff of Nottingham I'm going to have played by Leonardo DiCaprio because I feel like Leonardo DiCaprio has done some really solid villains and I think he could pull it off. Um, I'm going to have Friar Tuck played by Alfred Molina. I think he could be a fun kind of like older Friar, somewhat older in relation to, uh, the women, uh, Friar, Friar figure. Um, and I'm also going to have a Scarlet who is going to be played by Aubrey Plaza. So I think it'd be fun to have this movie be mostly about, uh, some kind of like young women revolutionaries who are trying to fight against, uh, <laughs> the their oppression and uh you know maybe just uh i'll do a little bit of anachronism and have them fight against the patriarchy um (laughs) however despite them fighting against the patriarchy what i think would be fun to do is to have in this movie um the kind of royal figure who you occasionally see who is the person you know in charge and who is like trying to make sure that taxes get paid is in fact going to be Eleanor Backwatane, who is not going to be a villain because I love her too much to make her a villain, um, but is going to be somebody who is not as concerned with the sufferings of the lower classes as uh, might be considered ideal. So she's not going to be like a cartoon villain or anything like that. She's basically going to be like, I, I don't care. This isn't my problem, essentially. And she is going to be played by Helen Mirren. Oh, well. You, mm, did I steal yours? <laughs> you just did. I'm going to put her in That's anyway. Fine. That one. That one wasn't in my notes. So. <laughs> That's literally. <laughs> that was what you're oh, just looking up. <laughs> well, I uh, I have seen the piece of paper, so I can confirm that we came up with that independently. <laughs> so, Ollie, tell me about the movie that you would make. Well, first of all, I want to watch that. I, I think I, I. This is the, the I. Every now and then, Sarah comes up with the idea of we'll we'll do a gender swap, and I always go, nah, nah. Well, actually, Women I think that sounds really interesting. Women can't have starring roles, Sarah. <laughs> we so get max one woman do, per movie. More is far too many. I'm going. To, 
I'm going to do something completely different here, right? So, because this is probably my last, um, like, I, I'm going to come back for some guest episodes, but this is my last time as a minting. So, I'm going to go completely off. Okay. And I'm going to adapt Robin Hood from my personal favorite Robin Hood story, mm-hmm. right? Now, the movie would still be called Robin Hood. And I want the listeners to just go with me on this a little bit because the story I'm about to tell and adapt into a movie is insane, right? Um, it's based on a book called Morning Star by David Gamble. And um, if I come back in the future to do guest episodes, I'm going to get Sarah a copy of this and we're going to read it okay. and go through it. Because, my God, do I love this movie or this book, right? <laughs> And I want it to be adapted into a movie, right? So it starts with a young, well, he's a middle-aged man. He's in his 30s, late 30s, so old age for the time, right? And he's sitting in an inn and he's telling the story of how he met Jarek Mace, right? Now, Jarek Mace, we're going to come to later on, is actually Robin Hood, mm. right? But Robin of the Hood. This character's name is Robin of the Hood. His name is Owen Odell mm-hmm. is the name of the character. And Owen Odell is a storyteller. And he's telling the story to... Now, in the book, it's a ghost listener that he creates using magic. But let's just say he's telling it to some young people. <laughs> and he's telling the story of how he met Robin, uh, or which in the language that this place is set is Rahibon, which means the person who was summoned, mm-hmm. right? Please bear with me on this. It does actually become okay. interesting, right? So Owen Odell is going to be played by Ben Wishaw, who is a really good actor, really soft-spoken young man. Uh, and I just like him. And loads of people like him. And the whole point of Owen Odell's character is that he's a likable dude mm-hmm. because he's hanging out with Jarek Mace, who is an asshole, right? So you're first introduced to Jarek as he's breaking out of a window after having had an affair with a woman he's undressed he's got no clothes he's got no boots on he's dropping a sword everywhere because he's drunk and then he gets attacked by a couple of dudes and he beats them up and then owen odell is there with him and he goes to attack owen odell and he's like no no don't attack me and he runs off and that's how you introduce him he's like he's a shit character he's he's not a nice guy he just happens to be really good at killing Mm -hmm. people right and later on it comes to the point where he starts robbing people and he falls afoul of the local government who is represented by a sheriff, mm-hmm. right? Now, the sheriff, in this case here, uh, I'm not sure who, he's meant to be an older man. Let's just say he's played by Russell Crowe, mm-hmm. right? So Russell Crowe puts a hit out on this Jarek Mace because, let's just put it this way, he's dipped his wick in the wrong candle mm. wax and the sheriff is not happy, so he wants to have him killed. So he falls in with a character called Wolf, who's going to be played by Josh Brolin, who is effectively Little John. Mm-hmm. Um, now, he's not called Little John, he's just called Wolf, but he's the tough older guy who's running the outlaws, and then Robin comes in and joins in with them, becomes ahead of them. He's played by Jarek Mace, or Jarek Mace, right? So in this story, Jarek Mace uh, starts leading these outlaws and he's just robbing stuff for his own good but all the poor people just assume they can take the money from him 
So it's not that he's robbing the rich and giving to the poor. It's that he's getting mobbed by 700 and 800 poor people and there's only 20 people in his band of merry mm-hmm. men. So he kind of has to just let them take the money from him. Right? And they're all like, oh, you're heroes, you're heroes. And he's like, fuck it, these people, we're going to have to sneak around. And that's why he sets up his camp in the woods and all this sort of stuff. Right? So his thing. Right? Now, how does he get to be Robin Hood? The story is actually set 300 years after when Robin Hood would have been around. And there is a character played by Helen Mirren called Horga, who is an old woman and she comes and she meets Jared Mace and she says, at some stage you're going to meet me again, but I will look very different. And then some scenes happen, which I'm not going to go into details now because I've given too much away, but somebody comes from the past using magic and says, I'm looking for a great hero. And they take Jarek Mace back into the past where he gets given the name Rahiban or Robin. And he then becomes the great hero that they've been telling stories about Robin Hood for the last 300 years. So this guy, Jarek Mace, who's been living in the present, is actually a guy who is back 300 years in the past. Mm. And he does all of the cool stuff that Robin Hood was, including fighting vampires. As Robin Hood always does. As as Robin Hood did. And uh, yeah, so... I'm going to have the young Horga be played by Natalie Dormer. Mm-hmm. So, uh, who I think looks like a young Helen Mirren. So it mm-hmm. kind of like okay. evens out that if she's going to be an older Helen Mirren, then she's going to be a younger Natalie Dormer. Um, so yeah, so that's what my story is going to be. It's about how Robin Hood was an asshole who was only doing stuff for his own good. And that it turns out that he was actually from the future, brought back into the past to fight vampires. Mm. Which is... <laughs> and I... I swear to God, I'm not doing this book just as a It sounds morning fascinating. Stuff. It is one, it's 290 pages long, I think. If it, it's been a while since I read about it. 200, in paperbacks, 290 pages long. It is one of the most cracking reads you're ever going to come across. Because the guy who wrote it, David Gemmell, just, he's very good at writing adventure stories. And this one here, just, it's like Dan Brown decided to sit down and write a fancy book. Like every chapter is six pages long and finishes on a little cliffhanger. So you have to read on to the next one. You have to read on <laughs> to the next one. And it's just this cracking little novel that involves all this stuff. Also, Jarek Mace, Robin Hood, will be played by Michael Fassbender. Mm. So all of those characters I mentioned have, you know, allegories. So Owen O'Dell's character is basically Friar Tuck. Mm-hmm. Um, as I said, Josh Brolin is basically... Um, so Josh Brolin is basically uh, <laughs> Little John. Um, Natalie Dormer is basically Maid Marion, and the old lady is basically the hag from the other Robin Hood um, stories. Mm-hmm. There's always this like old woman who's like all this stuff. So the idea is that they're all interconnected. So and that's what that's what I want to make. <coughs> my last chance to do one of these probably. And uh, yeah, that's that's what I would want to make as my version of a movie. That sounds awesome. And hopefully one day uh, you can come back on as my guest. And uh, we can read that and talk about it. I would yeah. love to. It sounds brilliant. Now we move on to our last section, which is where we, and I think this might be the first time we have a proper disagreement on mm. this. Estimatio. Sarah, uh, can I read out your final review of this without giving you the score? Yes. Uh, it just says, fuck this movie. <laughs> 
so I got very angry about historical inaccuracies, both deliberate and non, while writing out my notes for this movie. I will say, I believe in the concept of good-bad movies, uh, to use uh, the kind of flophouse parlance I think I did before. Um, And I wouldn't say don't watch this movie, but I would say watch this movie with a friend for the purpose of making fun of it. So, that said, you know, I am actually going to slightly change my score from my original. No. Okay, so I was originally going to give this movie a one out of five. I am going to up it to a two out of five, to be perfectly honest, exclusively because I feel like it deserves to have a better rating than King Arthur Legend of the Sword, which as of last week, I've had to move up to a one uh, after rating Kingdom of Heaven as my zero. So uh, to reflect the fact that if uh, some, you had to watch one of these new Not My Daddy's Medieval movie, it should be this one. It's uh, entertaining. It's bad. It's really bad, but it's entertaining. I'm going to give it a two out of five. Uh, so a lot of points off for getting everything wrong and also honestly being pretty mediocrely acted with the exception of uh, Ben Mendelsohn kind of hamming it up. Uh, but it's going to get one extra point back for being uh, kind of a good, a good, good, bad time. Right. No, uh, I'm well known. I'm, so, so when Sarah references the Flophouse, just in case people are members, it's a, it's a movie podcast where three or two comedians and their, their good, good buddy who's a barman watch movies which are flops and then review them and talk about what, you know they could have done better etc right so um they describe movies as good bad movies as in they're so bad that it's enjoyable to watch them and make fun of them right now i on my previous podcast my other podcast i've had one of the hosts of the flop house on and grilled him about the whole uh good bad concept because if you were finding enjoyment in a movie whether or not that's the way the movie intended you to enjoy it then it's a movie you like so I'm going to describe this as a movie I kind of like. It's terrible, right? So people listening, it's a terrible, terrible movie. It, the action scenes are muddled, which is something I complain about constantly in the other movies I give low scores to. The actors are really bad and give wooden performances or they're given hammy performances. It's too dark. It's going for an allegory on the war on terror. Such a choice. And it's failing in so many places. But. But. And I've, I'd, I can't say I didn't enjoy watching it even a little bit. It's fine. It's like. In the hands of a better director. With a more charismatic leading man. And do you know what? Even Taron Edgerton isn't the worst. But. It's just an okay movie. I was going to give it two and a half. And I went, you know what? I'm just going to give it a three. Mm. This is a three out of five movie for me. It's it's a movie that's there. You'll throw it on. There's another podcast um, I like called We Hate Movies or WHM. And they describe something as hangover movies. This is a hangover movie. Like you could sit down, throw this on. You've had a few drinks on a Saturday night. And you throw this on on a Sunday. And it's an hour and a half to two hours where you're like, I don't, I don't have to really engage my brain here. Stuff is happening on screen. 
I'm kind of enjoying what's going on. It's not going to kill me. So, yeah, I'm going to give this a 3 out of 5. I'm not going to feel good about giving it a 3 out of 5. But I'm still going to give it. Which which brings its average to 2.5 out of 5. Which is probably where it's at for me. Like, it's, it's that bang in the middle. It's not the worst movie we've ever done. It's not a good movie. But it's not a truly, truly bad movie. Like, I would watch this four times before i'd watch kingdom of heaven again yeah yeah agreed i definitely watched this before kingdom of heaven i would definitely watch this before king arthur legend of the sword um i will also it's say it's way better than robin hood yeah i will also say you know with marion we definitely get some amount of the like modern feminists like look at her like rah 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 she because she's a woman who could do everything men can do you know which is like a thing that's kind of annoying but honestly <laughs> after kingdom of heaven last week like fuck it i'll take it <laughs> like at least she has some agency like at least it's not like it's, it's not watching. as depressing to watch at least Carm stop <laughs> okay Ah, Karma. She's just having fun. She is. She's having a lot of fun okay. knocking things off the table. <laughs> Do it, very, Karma. very cat-like. Cat. That's what they're there for. <laughs> Sarah, would you like to talk to our yes. listeners? Yes. So, listeners. Oh, your listeners now, not mine. Yeah. So, listeners, you can find uh, you can find this podcast um, on Twitter at Media Evil Pod. You can find us on any podcatching platform. Uh, it would be great if you could rate and review us on Apple Podcasts slash iTunes. Um, five-star reviews definitely also help us, uh, you know, get noticed, which is pretty great. Um, also, if you have any questions or feedback for us, please send us, uh, send us slash, I guess, me an email at uh, media.evilpod at gmail.com. And we also now have a Facebook group, and I would love to see you there. It's a lot of fun. Um, Ollie will still be in the Facebook group, I'm sure, and chatting every now and then yeah i'll still be i'll still be banging yeah. around um you can also find me um on twitter and instagram and wherever else at sarah if decker um ollie anywhere else on the internet that they can find you yeah well normally what i do is i, I talk about best acquaintances but best acquaintances has finished for roughly the same reason that uh I'm finishing up a medieval. Just in case people think that there's there's anything major going on. Um, so my son is is autistic and uh and I I don't get to see him as much as I should and um just for various family reasons whatever. But um I'm going to be taking him for overnights, which is taking away half of my time, which is great. It's bad that I'm not going to have that. And then in the other evenings, I'm going to be studying and uh basically trying to become better at dealing with autism so i'm going to do a master's in in autistic studies effectively that's not what it's called right but um i don't want to give the the actual details about that because it's a little bit very specific that would you know be talking about him and i don't want to talk about his medical issues whatever yeah of course. so um yeah so i'm going to be basically practicing being a better father um which is just going to take up so much of my time I'm not really going to have time to to record and edit episodes, and I've I've loved doing medieval. It's great. Sarah's one of the like I, 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 I say this a lot that uh, I I kind of only really joined the whole internet thing in like 2015, and uh, between Emily, I do the other podcast with, and Sarah, they're two of the best friends that I've made um in the last 15 years. So I've been a delight, and it's been an absolute pleasure doing these things with them. But just sometimes 
other stuff comes up and you just don't get the chance to do the kind of stuff that you want to do but um so sarah i just want to say that it's been absolutely brilliant recording with you and you make it's it, like i've said this from day one before we started the <laughs> podcast that you're the star of this podcast so me leaving it is not going to make it any worse and i'm sure whatever guest hosts you have on are going to do a great job of uh talking shit while you explain history to them <laughs> Yeah, well, so first of all, also just all of you know, it's been really amazing to have you be a part of this. Um, this podcast, I think, would not be what it is uh, without uh, having had you here for uh, these first uh, few months of Media Evil. Um, you have been a completely amazing co-host. And I'll be very sad to see you go, but excited about all of the, you know, things that you're going to be doing that make you really happy. And that's really great. Um, and... Yeah, it's uh, been really great having you here, and you, I hope to have you on as a guest gonna, in the future. But uh, Are you going to replace me with a woman, Sarah? Because then that would be like gender swapping like you do in all the movies. <laughs> so for the time being, I think probably uh, the mid, uh, media evil will probably continue with uh, being me and some guest co-hosts, um, and we will see where things go. So uh, I hope you will all still stick with us. Sweet. Or stick with me as uh, I continue this journey in watching mostly terrible medieval movies. Guys, you know, you know, you're gonna stick with it. Sarah <laughs> does most of the work in this podcast. You wouldn't believe, like, I, like effectively, I edit, uh, and then everything else is done by Sarah. So, uh, and then she's gonna have to learn how to edit. I am gonna so, have to learn um, how to edit, yeah, and I, I can. I mean, <laughs> But don't worry, I'll, I'll help you out with that. But anyway, listen, I don't want to talk too much because I'm, I'm going to get choked up and stuff. So, uh, Sarah, it's been an absolute pleasure. And everybody who's listening, please keep listening. Thank you. All right. Bye. Bye.